please take your copy of God's Word and turn to John chapter 14. Our brother Mike has just led us in a far better prayer than I could ever pray. So we will let that suffice and get right into the preaching of God's Word. The Word of God reads, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see me, see him, or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be with you. Now, to remind us of the context of what exactly, where this passage uh, takes place in, most oftentimes is referred to as the farewell discord. This is when our Lord Jesus Christ is with his disciples right before he is to be betrayed. And he tells them this. He says that he must be betrayed, that he must one of his closest companions, one of his closest disciples, one of the twelve will betray him and will hand him over to sinful men and that he must be mistreated, that he must suffer, that he must die, that he goes away from them to lay down his life for them and that where he goes, they cannot follow. And we note in this passage of Scripture the great mood which might have, which surely overflowed in the room. It was filled up with emotion. You cannot hear that your Master, that your Lord, that the one whom you spent so much time with, the one whom you were so familiar with, the one who taught you all things, that was your example in all things, the one who told you that he is the Son of God, the one whom you saw work miracles in the name of the Father, who opened the eyes of the blind and loosened the tongue of, the, of those who were unable to speak, the one who could mend bodies with just a word, with just a touch, the one whom said that, who said that he had within him the ability to forgive sin. This is the one who will be, depart from you. This is the one who must leave. And upon hearing this, the disciples must have been so heavy hearted, so anxious, so emotionally heavy must have been the room as these men hear this bleak, seemingly bleak news. And so it is no surprise that our Lord, always the Comforter, tells his disciples, do not let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. And he gives them three tokens or pledges to comfort them by. The first is that he is going to prepare a place in heaven for them. 
that the father indeed has a big mansion. He has a home. He has a house. And that there are many rooms in there. But that Christ himself goes to prepare for them a place there. It is secured because he goes. Do not let your hearts be troubled. But Christ is going. And they will do much greater works since he is going. Greater works than which they saw their Lord and Savior do upon the earth. Christ promises greater works will you do also. Do not let your heart be troubled. Christ is going, he says. I am going. But anything that you ask in my name will be given to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. But yet still, as we read in verses 15 through 17, their hearts were still troubled. It was written all over their faces. It was seen within their body language. And so our Lord, sensing their affections for him, which were ever present in the room, still seen in their body language, while the tears were still streaming down their faces, and their troubled hearts witnessed and evidenced by the silence in the room, tells them, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Why would our Lord say such a thing in such a time like that? Well, I think it's in part because, like today, we don't understand what love is. We have a tendency of looking at love and thinking about love as it's just our feelings. I can almost hear our modern culture screaming out, Christ, how, Jesus, how can you deny that they love you? Do you not see their tears? Do you not see them doting over you? They are legitimately, genuinely freaked out because you are leaving them. It is written all over their faces. How can you deny, or how can you say, if you love me, keep my commandments? You see, our Lord Jesus Christ links, makes a great link between obedience and love. While he certainly was not put off by their feelings, he directs them to express that, that feeling of love, not in what they say, not in what they feel within them, by their raw emotion or affection, by something, but by something concrete, something tangible. Obedience. Nothing could be stranger to our minds than this link that which Christ makes between love and obedience. Sure, we, were in, we are in the church. We are in Christ Jesus. We are not of the world, but we live in the world. The idea of disobedience, that is, doing what the authority says not to do, to be disobedient, is almost a virtue which is to be praised. To be obedient to authority, well, that's being a sellout. 
That is not a virtue which our modern day holds. And then consider the mess which love is looked at as. We see them even in our Evansville as we drive around. Love is love. Love is how we feel. It is not what we do, but it is how we feel. Today, as it was then, Christ's disciples need much help in expressing their love toward Him. You see, Christians genuinely, I think, when I say Christians, I mean the local church, and mostly what I'm thinking of is the United States. Most professing Christians, I believe, regardless of what they might be doing in their actions, have a they intend to express love by them. And not to mock or to make fun of, but there is one positive thing that has happened because of COVID and the shutting down of churches, and that is that many churches are streaming their worship services. And you get to see, and um, well, I get to see a lot of how people who identify as Christians are worshiping God. And most of it is is on par with biblical, with, with biblical teaching. But there are some very bizarre things that are going on within the church today to express love towards Christ. You have things like bubble machines. You have rock concert type environments. You have, uh, in the most extreme cases, Feathers that are being let down from the rafters and they're grabbing up the angel feathers. It seems that anything and everything passes for love for Christ within modern day Christianity simply because we say we feel love for Christ. But here, the Lord Jesus Christ directs his disciples that love for him is not expressed by primarily what we feel but by what we do. We express love for Christ not by what we say on our lips, but by what is done in the hands. This is not to deny that He first has loved us, but this is to say that if we love Him, we will express such love not by sentimental sayings, but by seeking to obey His commandments. So, our love for Christ is chiefly expressed by our obedience to Him in which He aids us by the Holy Spirit. I believe that this is what these verses teach. That our love for Christ is chiefly expressed by our obedience to Him in which He, in which he aids us by the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We must, in the first place, embrace obedience as the highest expression of love. We must get away from this notion that love is only what we feel. To borrow uh, a poetic verse from the modern day poets, DC Talk, 
Love is a verb. We must embrace obedience as the highest expression of love. Love is not merely feelings nor sentiment, but according to the clear teaching of Scripture, love is commitment. In John's Gospel, again, John is the apostle of love. He speaks most about love than all of the apostles. It is said in by church tradition that when the apostle John reached a ripe old age and he could no longer man the pulpit, that they would put him in a chair in front of the church and he would just say, love one another, love one another, love one another. But we do not need to rely on church tradition to come to this realization. We can look at his gospel, the gospel of John, in which love is typically joined to the idea of dedication. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only begotten son. John 3.35, the Father loves the Son. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. John 10, 17-18 For this reason the Father loves me because I laid down my life. This commandment I received from my Father. John 15, 3 Greater love has no one than this. That he lays his, his life down for his friends. The disgraced Peter on the beach is confronted by the resurrected Lord in John 21, 15 through 17. And the Lord Jesus Christ in his resurrection glory asks Peter, Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. Tend my lambs. Simon Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep. Simon Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And my sheep. The idea in John's mind, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that love is mere sentiment is not cannot be found. With rare exception, love is always joined to this notion of dedication to the object of that love. But it doesn't just stop for John in his gospels. He continues this theme in his epistles. Here in the epistles of John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, love is demonstrated by faithfulness. Love is demonstrated by faithfulness. 1 John 3.18, Little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but indeed in truth. Obedience is the expression in love. Not only within the Gospels of, of the Gospel of John, not only within his epistles, but it is also seen in, in the two great covenants which, stand, which God communicates to mankind. 
These two covenants are the covenant, the old covenant, which had Moses as his mediator, and the new covenant, which has Christ as, this, as its mediator. Now, what is, a me what is a covenant? Well, a covenant is nothing more than an agreement, a contract, in which a higher authority tells a lower authority what they must do to receive either blessings or curses. A mediator is the go-between those two parties. And so, Moses was the mediator of the Old Covenant. He was the go-between. Now listen to what Moses says at his farewell discourse. During Moses' farewell discourse in Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 20. See, have I, see, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess. That sounds very familiar. It sounds like a summation of what Jesus just said as the, as the mediator of the new covenant. Jesus simply says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But Moses, the mediator of the old covenant, expresses it in, the, in, in a similar way, but with more words. I command you today to love the Lord your God. How? To walk in His ways and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments. You see, obedience is the expression in lo of love in both of the covenants. The mediator of the old covenant, as he was giving his farewell discourse, says, if you love me, or if you love God, keep his commandments. Whereas the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, as both the Son of God and the mediator of the new covenant, says, if you love me, keep my commandments. We are to obey Christ, then not out of slavish fear, but from the heart. Obedience and love are linked together according to our Lord Jesus Christ and according to the, the two great covenants which God has made to his people. There is such a thing as obedience apart from love. I know this is what we're all thinking right now. Because for most of us, obedience and love do not seem to go hand in hand together. It seems almost graceless to, to suggest such a thing. But yet our Lord Jesus Christ does this. He links together both love and obedience. The whole teaching of the scripture is that obedience is the correct expression of love. But we all know, we all know that there is obedience apart from love. That obedience does not necessarily mean that you do something out of love. Our great fear, I, I think, in modern-day Christianity is to be labeled a legalist. That is, 
to seek to be loved because of what we do. But what the teaching of Scripture clearly is, and what we've just read, is that Christ does not love us because of our obedience to him, but rather our love for Christ is expressed in our obedience to him. You can obey without love. You can seek to obey God without love. Do you know how you do this? Most, you do this by having your obedience be strictly focused at the dread of God. In other words, you do it not so much because you care anything for the lawgiver, but because you fear his punishments. You can have an almost slavish fear that seeks to justify yourself by the adherence to the letter of the law without concern for the lawgiver. This should not be for, the, for us, the Christian. Our obedience, according to the Lord Jesus Christ in this verse, is to flow from the heart. Our obedience is one of adoration for him and high esteem for his person and for his work. The law, we know, was a noose that was around our neck. It was our enemy. It told us what not to do, and we delighted to do so. And the curse on the threats of the old covenant, which Moses was the mediator of, that noose was placed around our neck, and with each sin we could feel it tightening and tightening and tightening. It was around our throats to the point where we could barely breathe. We knew that there would be one day where we would have to stand before a just and holy God. And we knew what his verdict would be. His verdict would be guilty. He would pull the lever. The floor would open out from beneath us. And we would be hanged by our own transgression. The law had that kind of fearful power over us. And there are two ways in which you could choose to live. You can sense this noose around your neck and you could struggle against it. And you can say, well, it won't tighten if I just do what I'm supposed to do. I don't care anything about the judge. I don't care anything for the judge, but I really don't want to get hung today. And so you seek to justify yourself in the eyes of the lawgiver by not breaking the law. But the problem with this is you have broken the law. You can obey out of slavish fear, out of dread. But what Christ commands us here this morning to do is to obey out of adoration. For he saw you with that noose around your neck. He saw it tightening and tightening and tightening. And he came up to you on that platform of divine judgment. And he took it from you. And he placed it on his own head. 
brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, how can we not have love for one as that? One who would take on our guilt. One who would put the noose of God's judgment around his neck. One who would willingly take the plunge of death for us. Our hearts, they well up with these feelings and these emotions. And Christ is not put off by them. No, by not, not any means is he put off by them. But still in, our, in the recesses of our mind, we hear the echo of him who says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Oh, Christ, by his suffering and death, has removed all the threats of punishment. We now fear no condemnation in Christ Jesus. The sinless life, his sinless life has won for us all the blessings of the covenant. We need no longer, we need no greater proof of the expression of love's expression by obedience than Christ agreeing to die on the cross. And so how can we not lovingly obey him who loved us so much? How can we look at his commandments and call them a burden? How can we look at his teaching and say that it is out of step and on the wrong side of history? How can we hesitate to obey him who did not hesitate to lose so much in our stead? How can we see his commands as too burdensome? Who took, us, took from us our heaviest albatross? Our weightiest moral, emotional, and spiritual burdens. Oh, to love, to embrace obedience as love's truest expression out of a gratitude for Christ. There's no burden at all for, for those that are in Him. So as I was studying this, passage of scripture in preparation to preach I did a very seemingly silly thing and I turned this word on myself and great conviction came over me as I recalled time and time again in which I failed the Lord Jesus Christ to express this great love that I have for him. Because the question that is in the forefront of anyone who seriously is considering these words today of our Lord, the question which they must answer is, do you love Christ? And there are so many answers that are given to this. Well, of course I love you. Of course I do. I shared that picture of you on Facebook. That was an expression, a token of love for you. It said that if I did that, it would show my love for you. Well, of course I love you. I, ha I have... I'm doing all the I'm doing all the right things. I'm, I'm I'm reading your word. Yeah, it's just a checklist for me, but I'm doing it. 
the, the word of Christ here almost mocks us as we consider the weightiness of this that he tells us. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Failure after failure to obey. And yet here we are with the word of Christ. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. There would be no comfort in these words apart from verses 16 and 17. I will, and it, I believe it should be translated, I also, I also will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, and He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of Truth. That is the Spirit of Truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know him because he abides with you and you will be and will be in you. Had our Lord Jesus Christ just left it at, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Those words which he used to, to comfort his saints, to comfort his disciples, would only bring upon them further trouble and anxiety. But in verses 16 through 17, Christ through the Father promises to send the Holy Spirit to help us in our obedience to Christ. We, brothers and sisters, can have every confidence that any prayer which Christ prays, anything which Christ asks His Father for, the Father will give to Him. We were given confidence previously that anything we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, He will give to us. How much more will the Father give to His natural Son if He only asks? And so the Helper is giving, not, given not through your merit, not through your obedience, not through your sentimental feelings of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the Spirit is given to you to aid you, to help you in that obedience, in that expression of love. By the intercession, by Christ's asking of the Father. Jesus at his ascension will ask the Father for another helper. Another helper. Well, who was their first helper? It was the Lord Jesus Christ who was their first helper. He was their counselor, he was their guide, he was their friend. And he was their comforter. But he must go. But he asks the Father for another helper. One which will be with them forever. And that is the great comfort in these verses. Any expression of love, any, any obedience which is, seeks to be an expression of love for Christ, ultimately is the result of the Holy Spirit working within the saint. Now, in our English translation of the Word of God, the word here is helper. Or if you use the King James, I think it's uh, comforter. And these are, these are good and right words to use. But the actual word and the word that I, that I think that 
we as a, as a church need to embrace for the Holy Spirit is that a paraclete. He is a paraclete. He is one who stands beside. An English helper is probably the closest thing that we have, but there is so much more to the paraclete than just the helper. He is the one who stands beside us. He is the one who stands beside us as our advocate. And we need an advocate because we have an accuser. He is the one who stands by our side as a guide, a teacher. And we need a teacher. We need a guide because we are surrounded by so much falsehood. He is the one who stands by our side as a comforter. And we need to be comforted. There is so much hostility towards us because of sin, both within and without. Would we fight the flesh? then we need the comforter. Would we stand on the word of truth, then we will need an advocate. Would we seek to live lives that are pleasing to God, then we will need a guide. And all those things, while the Lord Jesus Christ was bodily present with his saints, he did for them. But it has been 2,000 plus years since he has ascended into heaven. He has not left these saints, nor has he left any of the current living saints as orphans, as he will go on to say, but has given them a paraclete, one who will stand by their side. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, not in that he is merely the one who dispenses the truth, though he does, but he is the one who will actively lead us into the truth. Why is it that one person can read the word of God and have nothing but contempt for it, while another person can read the word of God and acknowledge it for what it truly is, the word of God? Why is it that one person can read these words and see in them such comfort and such love of Christ for his people and another person say, okay, I'll just do what I'm supposed to do because I'm supposed to do it. What is the distinction which is made between these two parties, between these two people? Why is it that the same spirit of truth smells of sweet roses to one and to death for the other? Whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be with you. Brothers and sisters, only those who are born again can receive the Holy Spirit as helper. 
the world, it says, is both unwilling and unable to receive the Holy Spirit because of their blindness to spiritual truths. It is not merely because they are unwilling, but it is because they are unable to. Unable to. It is only those who are regenerated, who are converted, who are born again by the Spirit abiding, can see that who can see and benefit from the Holy Spirit. Oh, Christian, do not neglect nor minimize the way in which the Holy Spirit can help you. If you are a professing Christian today, if you have love for the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, which has caused you to express such love by, by obeying his commandments, to taking his supper, to following him in baptism, It wasn't because of a decision that you made. It was because the Holy Spirit of God had come upon you and had enabled you to receive him. You see, any act of obedience which we produce out of love can only be produced out of love because of the Holy Spirit abiding in us. So do not neglect or minimize the way in which this spirit of truth can help you to stir you up to loving obedience. Do you need a comforter? I think most of us do. There are many dark providences which have befallen many of us. Many things that are going on in the background. Many discouragements. Many hurts. Do you need a comforter? Surely you do. The spirit of truth, by the word of truth, affords you much comfort. Do you need an advocate? Do you need one to plead your case? To plead your case against your conscience? The spirit of truth, by the word of truth, takes up your case. What about guidance? You need guidance in life. A counselor. Someone to tell you what to do. Oh, Christ has asked and has given, and the Father has given you the spirit of truth so that by the word of truth, you, he will be able to guide you. Christian, there are so many today, so many today, who want to make any form of obedience to Christ legalism. Now that's a funny word, legalism. Sounds like a good thing, right? We're on the up and up, we're legal. They look at any act of obedience as legalism. That is, that the, because of God's grace, there is no longer any need for or requirement of obedience whatsoever. And that to, to be to seek to be obedient is to, is trying to work your work for your salvation. When I first became involved with the Reformed Baptist tradition many years ago, um, there was a church plant in Leavenworth, Indiana. And it, the ascending church was the Reformed Baptist Church of Louisville. 
and they were getting very close to constituting. And I was going over there in the morning, and then in the evening I would come back to my home church, the church I was a member of. And the whole Reformed Baptist thing was new to me. Uh, I, I admit to you freely, I had rose-colored glasses on. These boys could do no wrong. They believe all the right things. They do all the right things. They sing all the right hymns. They stress all the right doctrines. I was infatuated. And so we're getting closer and closer, and the church is going to constitute. It's going to become, it's not going to be a church plant. It's going to be an autonomous church. You all are familiar with that process. One of the things that you need to do when you constitute as a church is have a church constitution. And I was reading this church constitution. It was much different than any constitution that I'd ever read. It actually had spiritual talk in it. It laid out who a member was, who the elders were, what did they do, what was expected, what was expected of the elders, of the deacons, and the members of the church. And I, again, was just infatuated with it. I was so excited. I was, Let's embrace this. this. This should be our new constitution. I handed it to one of the members of the church, a dear lady. And she read it because she was really vibing to use young people talk. She was really vibing on my excitement. And the next Sunday she came and she said, Stephen, that is the most legalistic document I've ever read. In other words, she was saying, these people are trying to seek out to buy their salvation through their obedience. And I said, well, ma'am, in what way? And she said, we're right here. She points to this, this little paragraph, or a little sentence, and it said, Members vow to be, on to be at church to gather for worship on the Lord's Day. Well, I read that, and I looked at her, and I said, Sister, where else do you want to be than in the church worshiping God? She said, that's not the point. The point is that nobody should tell me that. It should be a matter of my own conscience. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, while there are certainly things that are a matter of the Christian's conscience, obedience to his revealed will is not one of them. If we say that we love him, we will obey his commandments. We will keep his commandments. Not perfectly, but without hesitation. Not with murmuring, but as our desire to please him. And it seems that in our modern day, that any, that any desire to wish to obey God and the things which he has commanded is viewed as legalism. Christian, be comforted, be comforted in this. That not that obedience to Christ does not necessarily make you a legalist. What makes you a legalist is if you are trying to if you're trying to gain Christ's love by your obedience. 
We love Him, so we keep His commandments. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we do love Your Son. Our emotions are so fickle. Our thoughts are so random and unfocused and ever-changing. But Your Holy Spirit, He is an anchor within our heart. He is the one who walks and stands beside us who is our advocate, who is our guide, who is our counselor. And we pray, Father, that we would avail ourselves to Him, that we would grow to be sensitive to Him and to His, His leading. We ask, Father, that You would allow us to embrace the biblical definition of love and its expression of obedience. We pray, Father, that we would love the Lord Jesus Christ and so evidence that love by our willing obedience from the heart to obey Him. We ask, Father, that the Holy Spirit would comfort those who are in our midst, who are suffering from great trials and tribulations. We ask, Father, that your legitimate children in the faith who are even now perhaps questioning their salvation because of their failure to obey, that you would comfort them knowing with this one thought that you loved them first and died for them. We pray, Father, that you would give them grace and grace and great abundance, that they might hold, hold fresh new in their minds your forgiving and merciful love for them, which you expressed by your obedience to the Father, even to the point of death. We thank you, Lord God, for all the many blessings and privileges which we have in Christ Jesus. Chiefly today, we thank you for the freedom to serve you, the true and living God. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.